Welcome to an original series, the podcast celebrating our favorite TV shows behind the paywall. I'm Patch, one of your co-hosts, and with me celebrating the world of long-form storytelling is my friend and fellow Avenger, maybe not, Adam. (laughs) Hey man, it's good to be back. There's been a lot going on in my life, and I'm excited to get into a whole new series. Me too, me too. It's um, if you if you don't know, I mean, obviously we're we've pre-recorded a bunch of these episodes, so if you're listening to these back to back, you won't know that there's been a little bit of a time lapse between when we recorded the Stranger Things one and when we're uh, we're doing this one, the the What If season one from from Disney Plus or I guess from Marvel Studios. But uh, yeah, I'm I'm itching to actually get back into the conversation. I've missed talking with you in general and more specifically about the shows that we love so i mean i guess without further ado let's just get into it yeah this is our uh, our first foray into the uh, marvel cinematic universe if you will yes i don't know if it'll be our last i mean there's a lot of content that has come yes. out for d plus in relation to the mcu we may get to it we may not it's just very complicated yes <laughs> to, say. to and, say the least yes i i think when i talk about the mcu i talk about it with a love-hate relationship as I did when I was collecting comics and reading comics, it's that the Marvel formula is build a great fan base and then make your fans want to be invested in everything. And right. so I think that's kind of what's happened where you had phase one through four. No, we're still in no phase two, I guess is when did end game was at the end of phase two. I think that I was, can't remember. yeah. Phase two would have been age of Ultron. Okay. Uh, phase okay, so one being phase... the first Avenger. Yes. Avengers film phase two, I'm uh, sorry, was Age of Ultron. And then the Infinity War and Endgame would have been the end of phase three, I believe. And now we're currently in phase four in the midst of phase four. If you're listening to this during the <laughs> same year that we're recording or perhaps within a, a few years, because I think it's a fairly long phase. <laughs> If you're listening to this and the MCU's in phase 20, we are dead. Yeah, I think. it's like 2031. <laughs> it's yeah. probably not phase four right now. <laughs> but... What's the future like, listener? Tell us in the, yeah. in the comments. <laughs> yeah, so going through that, I mean, I'm obviously, I'm not a huge Marvel fan. I'm a casual Marvel fan. I, I like comic books and I like superheroes. And of course, when all this stuff really got kicked off with Iron Man and Hulk and Captain America... Phase three was really kind of what I would consider my Marvel Cinematic Universe. I, I like the stuff that's come after it. I, I'm not going to lie. It's good. I just think when we've gotten into TV series now that tie in that are almost but not quite required viewing to enjoy movies that are coming out, it tends to be a little bit of a cheat. And I know you're a comic book fan, comic book collector, comic book reader, so you probably understand this. I remember when Avengers came out in the movie theater it was probably my favorite like summertime experience of that year. I was like, oh my gosh, summer's officially here. Avengers is amazing. But I remember at the same time, Marvel was pushing a huge summer event series, which they do typically every summer. I don't know if they still do. And it was Avengers versus X-Men, not related to the movies at all. But that was the first time I remember investing in the, I think it was an eight issue series, but they had all these tie-ins. And so if you read Spider-Man, you would get one issue during the summer where it would kind of 
hint back at Avengers versus X-Men. And you're like, oh, wait, hold on. Or in Avengers versus X-Men, it would refer to something that happened to the Hulk, but not the complete story. And you're like, oh, gosh, I guess I got to go read the Hulk to figure out the complete part of that story or a section of that story. And it was so frustrating because I was like, I don't have the money to invest in all these things. And so I ended up just sort of saying, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm just going to invest in the main storyline, enjoy the comics on the side that I already enjoy. And what eventually happens is they put them into omnibuses and giant trade paperbacks. For instance, like Spider-Verse, amazing story. It has a big giant, like almost 400 page omnibus of the entire series with all the tie-in books and i was like this is a lot cheaper and i'm willing to kind of not experience this in real time and enjoy it that way and i feel like the television series are kind of like that where you have the mainline stories in the movies and then you have things like wandavision or the things like falcon and winter soldier and it's just almost a little frustrating to me because i just i don't have the time or the desire to really just invest fully to capture the Easter eggs. And I think for me, what if the series that we're covering right now is such a great fit because it's sort of ironically the most accessible type of Marvel storytelling. But the reason it makes it accessible is partly due to the fact that the MCU exists, (laughs) right? Right. So you've got this really interesting concept of enjoying the stories, but also enjoying the alternate universe as compared to what you've already experienced in the movies. And so I wanted to kind of ask you a question. What if as a comic book series, I believe started in the seventies, did you read it as you were growing up? Was it a regular kind of comic book, like a a monthly thing that you would uh, invest in? It wasn't like a monthly comic. I, I actually found in my, in my long boxes, some original issues that I I own. I don't own many. I have maybe six or seven issues that I bought. These are from 1991, 90, 1990, 1991, and 1992, so I'm dating myself a little bit. But the first one here is entitled, What If the Fantastic Four All Had the Same Power? Which is a great concept, because why Why do they all... They all got exposed to the same rays. Why were they all given unique powers, right? So wouldn't they most likely have all had the same symptoms? <laughs> but, you know, and then here's one. What if the Punisher had killed Daredevil? Uh, here's, what if Spider-Man's parents destroyed his family... What if Peter oh, wow. Parker became the Punisher? So yeah, there's just lots of this is this is the idea behind the show. It's it's taking the in this case the, these comics were taking things that were happening in the Marvel comic universe and and having fun with them and kind of taking them in a different direction in a sort of one shot approach. Right, each issue is self contained, and that's why I could buy an issue here and there if it interested me because. You didn't really have to read the whole series or have every issue. And that's, like you said, why I think this series works so well, because you can watch it as a standalone show. You can watch each episode as a standalone episode out of order, if you, I believe you could. I, I haven't seen them all yet, so maybe there are some little Easter eggs in, in these episodes that tie together, perhaps. We know that there's a, a character that ties them all together called The Watcher, who's also from the comics. But yeah, I, I enjoyed the, f- I like the fun concept behind what if dot 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 back in my early collecting days, which was, as you can tell, sort of late 80s, early 90s. That's when I, I did most of my early comic book reading, collecting. And then there was a long stretch of time where I kind of stopped reading, stopped collecting, and kind of got back into it maybe 10 years ago. I think the MCU phenomenon, as you pointed out, 2012 when the Avengers came out, 
I think that kickstarted a lot of comic collectors of our age. It re-energized our fascination and love for these characters and for Marvel. And we kind of started reading comics again, even if we had stopped for <laughs> for years on end. So there's there's a big gap in my my reading. Although, like you said, I certainly have picked up graphic novels and other collections over the years to kind of fill in holes. One good thing about those collections, of course, is that you know they're going to be really good because these are the ones that that have sort of held up over time, and and a lot of people will recommend them. So you kind of know going in if you're going to pay twenty bucks for a collection, it's probably going to be one that's that's worth your time and money. <laughs> Whereas sometimes as you as you read the stuff as it's coming out, and you're just like, oh, I got to get in on this, I got to got to get every issue. Sometimes you're like, mm, that wasn't that wasn't really that great, <laughs> and. Uh, I don't know about you, but I still buy a handful of comics every week, and they're not cheap anymore. I mean, they're like—I mean, they never were, but they're four or five bucks a pop now, I mean, which is not what it was when I was growing up. <laughs> Seventy-five cents yeah. when I started for a Marvel comic. <laughs> I have the same kind of journey with you, where I would go through—I started collecting in the the late '80s, early '90s, really when the there was a saturation of comic books, and they lost a lot of their. Not only paper value because comics apparently are supposed to be worth a lot, but they're not. <laughs> right. But even just their just just in their reading, there the stories weren't fantastic. They weren't really that kind of intriguing. There were there were some really good stories, and it was at the point I think it was in the early '90s when I remember specifically when I got into comics as a young person, as a as a high schooler or junior high person, was when I went to Walmart. And they had this five pack of number ones and it was like <laughs> X-Men and it was, I think Wildcats, I think was one of them, Spawn number one. And I was yep. like, oh, these are going to be worth millions and Walmart doesn't know what they're doing. And I mean, they're not really worth anything, but they kickstarted this whole idea of like, oh, now we've got event series. Now we've got this other stuff. And I think it was in the mid nineties that there was a series where it was like, a, like the apocalypse, something apocalypse now. But it was spelled, you know, not not like the Martin Sheen movie, right? But once that happened, all the comic, all the mainline Marvel comics, like switched uh, titles, and so instead of Cable, it was X Man, and instead of like X Factor, it was Factor X, and I love that concept of like uprooting a universe, and so I collected them and read them, and they were really good. But along with that, I read What Ifs, and I think what was appealing about What Ifs is that accessibility. And about the fact that you really don't need to know a deep amount of mythology about a character to really understand or appreciate the issue itself. Like one of my favorites was what if Wolverine battled Weapon X? That title is intriguing because it's like, you know, that Wolverine was Weapon X. So like what happened? And the cover of it is fantastic because you've got Wolverine looking like Logan, but he's carrying like these almost like these ninja size. And you see him kind of squaring off with Weapon X who has the berserker claws but his face is covered by this machine like helmet that you can't see his face and i was like this is amazing what happened (laughs) and it really allows you to play with that question so when we got this announcement about what if i was so excited because i was like are they gonna just start showing all these great comic books like reimagined and in animated form and i was a little disappointed that we weren't getting the comic books that you and i fell in love with however it was such a clever thing because just like I expressed earlier, the investment in the comic book mythology and all the history of Marvel, the MCU is doing the same thing. So why not use the mythology and the, the stories that you have created already 
as a means to launch a brand new series that would ask the question, what if you've got enough source material? You know, it's funny. You, you, you watch a new Marvel movie and instead of having like the comic books flipping like they would for just like Marvel for like a Sony pictures or something, the Marvel studios logo is what it's all these images from all these movies and then pictures of the script here and there, which is so clever because it's almost like they're saying, look what we've done. Yeah. (laughs) And rightly so they have put so much out there that they have, a ton that they can pull from. And this first episode, what if Captain Carter were the first Avenger? It's such a great entry point because the people that I've talked to, a lot of people that I've talked to when they talk about their Marvel movies, their favorite is not Captain America, but it's usually the one that they jump into first, either because it's chronologically the first one or because people know Captain America even above Iron Man. So Iron Man, yes, is an A-level character, but Captain America is like, he's it. And he's historically, yeah, historically he's, been around the longest i think he's one of the oldest hero well marvel characters at least Uh, maybe with dc you have batman superman coming out in the late 1930s but i think the first appearance of captain america was in the early 40s so most marvel characters came into uh, the universe in the 60s spider-man iron man x-men and so on so here you have really one of the most iconic and oldest marvel characters And that means that I think a lot of there are more generations that were aware of Captain America potentially than, you know, older generations than than some of the newer ones that came out in the 70s or even the 80s, like Punisher and so on, Wolverine. So, yeah, you have uh, a lot of decades worth of heroes here. But Captain America, like the film, the first Avenger and this episode takes place in the time period that he was supposed to be that he was introduced in. Yeah. Well, like you, I have not seen any of these, I think you've seen maybe the first two or three, but past that, I think we're going to have a Stranger Things effect where we're both going to be like, all right, what do we have next? The titles alone look really good. I'm really excited to kind of get into each one of them. You touched on the fact that you don't necessarily have to watch these in order. I'm kind of wondering with the character of the Watcher and based off of one of the episode titles, okay, I think there's going to be something going on here, but I'm not going to approach it as if like, all right, we're going to go, I mean, we're going to go through these in order, obviously. Right. But we are going to also keep our minds open. At least I am. (laughs) Like, okay, something's. Well, for instance, at the end of this episode, the watcher says that a new timeline was created, a new history was created. Okay. Well, does that new history that of the multiverse of this what if, is it it going to be for the rest of the series? I'm going to be like, all right. So do the Guardians of the Galaxy live in the same universe or is this a different world altogether? I don't know. That's a great question. Yeah. It makes me wonder if even if there's this compulsion for the creators of the MCU to say, we got to keep them all tied together in some way, shape, yeah. or form. And I, I, I kind of have a feeling that that may be the case, which is fine. Yeah, I mean, it's there's, I think, nine episodes in this first season. And I assumed, based on my understanding of the show, that each episode, each story was like in its own universe, right? Own separate or alternate universe. But you're right. Hey, there could be some of them that take place together with uh, other episodes and we just don't find out until later on. So that'll be an interesting thing to uh, discover as we go through the show. But yeah, it's it's really interesting to, uh, you know, this this character of the of the watcher who by the way i don't know if you remember but he or the watchers they made a, a live action appearance in guardians of the galaxy volume two where they're talking to stan lee he's like wearing a space oh, suit do you remember I, that yeah. it's like a yeah, little I joke do. you know but the idea being that all those cameos that stan lee had 
in all the Marvel films, not just the MCU films, but perhaps even the pre-MCU films uh, like the Sam Raimi Spider-Mans and so on, that he essentially was like an informant for the Watchers, that he was out there, you know, (laughs) keeping tabs on all these Marvel heroes on Earth and reporting back (laughs) to the Watchers. So I thought that was fun. So this is our first time, that was technically the first time seeing a Watcher in, in an MCU movie, but this is the first time that we hear the voice of one played brilliantly by Jeffrey Wright. And I think he's perfect for it. He just has the right tone. And is it just me or does it instantly remind you of like Rod Serling doing the Twilight yeah, Zone? <laughs> absolutely it does. Yeah, I think it's because of the reboot Twilight Zone with Jordan Peele being right. the the Rod Serling stand-in that kind of gives me that because he's got that deep kind of voice. <laughs> yeah. And, and let me just say, I love the voice cast in this episode. Oh, just yeah. Hands down. Everybody is phenomenal in this. And uh, But yeah, Jeffrey Wright, I'm excited because if he's going to be the one sort of opening and closing each episode, I'm like, what are you going to say next, Jeffrey? Because right. I'll listen, whatever you want to say. <laughs> and I just want to comment on that voice cast in case people don't know if they're on the fence about checking this out. It has virtually every actor who appeared in Captain America, the first Avenger, reprising their roles, and then some. The only two that I think don't appear are Chris Evans as Captain America. We have another actor, Josh Keaton, taking on the role. I think they call him Skinny Steve Rogers (laughs) in it. And I think the only other actor that doesn't return from that film is Hugo Weaving as Red Skull, but the actor that does play him, Ross Marquand, is the actor that played Red Skull in Avengers Infinity War. So they did oh. get, I think Hugo Weaving is just one of those actors that doesn't like to come back for roles. He seems to be very particular about his, what he chooses to play and, and do. So, Well, if you put the word Matrix or Lord of the Rings in front of it, he will come yeah. back for it, right? <laughs> well, that's the thing. Maybe. Maybe those franchises he's up to, up for. Who knows what his real reason is. But anyway, I mean, yeah. we have uh, Haley Atwell, of course, reprising Captain Carter. Sebastian Stan as Bucky Barnes. Dominic Cooper as Howard Stark. Stanley Tucci as Erskine. Toby Jones as, as Zola. Bradley Whitford as John Flynn. And who, by the oh way, you may not know, but he actually does have a live action appearance in a short film the agent carter one shot which is now on disney plus by the way it's like a five minute short that takes place after the events of captain america the first avenger with Haley atwell playing the character and bradley whitford plays basically the same role in that he's just giving her a hard time and so they found a way to bring him back through this uh, episode, which I thought was great. So there's a lot of details like that. And even Samuel L. Jackson and, and Jeremy Renner have brief reappearances here with their voice work. So I, that, to me, adds a whole nother level of gravitas to this episode and I think to the entire series, even though we haven't gotten into it. If this is a type of casting that they're able to do going forward, I'm going to be really impressed and that much more invested in what they're producing. Yeah. I mean, because there's definitely a history with these characters that they can fall into. Right. And, and that's something that I think is really interesting. We'll just go ahead and get into the, the actual plot itself. I didn't know what to expect from the story. I was glad that we got something that wasn't just a rehash of Captain America, the first Avenger, where you're just switching out Steve Rogers for Peggy. Right. And I, I didn't think they would do that, but this is just good storytelling. And I think this is why Marvel as a property is so popular. It's because their stories, they are very homogenized, but not in a bad way. 
they're very uniform. So unlike the DC extended universe, where each movie feels like it's a director's trademark on it. So Zack Snyder or Patty Jenkins, any of those guys are going to have their own spin on the DCEU, which is a good thing, by the way. I think that's a really cool thing to be able to do that because Marvel has created this synonymous or synchronous universe. It makes sense to want to keep your stories feeling kind of the same or, or at least tonally. What we see, though, is in the Doctor Strange sequel is a departure from that with, with Sam Raimi doing kind of an Evil Dead type thing. The What If series, at least this first episode, I think keeps that tone, but it allows the style, the animation approach to give it a different kind of flavor. And I want to say that I love the animation in this. And I believe that animation style stays throughout the series, but I feel like it's so appropriate for this episode because specifically in like the back half of the like 33 minutes, when we get into like the montage where Peggy and Steve are basically a two man, a platoon or whatever, it looks like 1940s propaganda posters and it's beautiful. And I, I just, I think that that approach, the animation approach is really a great idea because it allows you to do so much more and iterate on what you've already kind of become familiar with. So like the battle scenes are a lot more enhanced and a lot more fun. I'll, I'll tell you, Peggy Carter, when she goes into the uh, chamber and she gets the juice, she comes out, she doesn't look like She-Hulk. She doesn't look like this kind of overblown, overmuscular woman. She just looks like a well-built female who is strong. And she's taller. I think at one point, what is it? Uh, I think it's Stark who says you won't be needing those heels anymore because <laughs> yeah. I mean yeah. she's just you, she. You can see she's taller. She's more uh, muscular, but she's not gross looking. Like she really keeps that elegance to herself, and I think that's what carries through the episode, particularly with her relationship with Steve, which is a lot of fun. We'll get into that, but overall, I think the approach and the story itself. You still keep the same kind of beats. You've got Red Skull, who is overthrowing the Nazis. But then you have, instead of <laughs> a big twist, which is Red Skull gets killed. <laughs> it's like he just gets, like, what, snapped into or just demolished by the giant octopus. Those types of things, I think, are what make What If Story so good because they throw out the, they throw out the rules. They throw out yeah. the, the formula, but they still keep that tone that we're so familiar with that doesn't feel like, well, this doesn't feel Marvel-like. No, it does. Right. It really does feel Marvel-like, but it feels refreshing. And and they can take chances and surprise you and do unexpected things because in the end, it's just an alternate universe, which may or may not ever be revisited in any way, shape, or form again. So it can stand on its own and be its own thing. And I think that's great. And, and you know, I was really curious because I never quite seen this animation style. I'm a big animation fan. I've produced animated films and it was actually when I was in college I studied animation I really wanted to be an animator more than anything and I was really curious how they approached this project so I looked it up and it's called cell shaded animation and it's basically using the likenesses of these actors and using computer animation to render them but then what they do is they apply a kind of 2D cartoon layer on top of it so that it looks almost on the surface like hand-drawn or cartoon animation but what's underneath it sort of the wireframe 3d animation is all being done in the computer there's 
sort of four main categories of animation these days. There's anime kind of inspired hand-drawn animation. There's just computer generated like Pixar. And there's like the more overtly cartoony, you know, like the Chuck Jones, Warner Brothers kind of classic animation, all hand-drawn. And then there's like stop motion animation. This is really somewhere in the middle. It's computer based, but it's applying kind of a two-dimensional flat feel to it so that it sort of emulates a more classic animation style. So I, I found that interesting. And, and I think it works well because they're trying to bring out, as I said, the likenesses of actors like Haley Atwell as Captain Carter. You can do that, but also alter her body, right? And make it look bigger and stronger. Whereas if they did that in a live action show, it would look absurd, I feel like. If you if you just CG altered her body to make her look, you know, six inches taller than she really is, it would just be strange. So this is, it goes back to sort of one of the sort of rules of animation is you use animation as a medium when you can't do what you're trying to do. You can't tell the story you're trying to tell through live action. Like animation is supposed to be a tool to help do that. Of course, in modern filmmaking, that line is being bored more and more, you know, with films being so heavily CG, like Avatar, for example, it's it's getting harder and harder to differentiate. But traditionally speaking, animation was always seen as a tool that would help filmmakers tell stories that couldn't be shot with live action. And I think this is a great example. This just wouldn't work as a live action short film or show or movie because I think it would be too CG-ish. It would it would take you out of it. But by having everything sort of consistently animated in the same style, you just buy into this character being larger than life, bigger than any human woman, perhaps, but not, as you said, Hulk-sized, which would be even more absurd. So yeah, I, I think they really, they made a good choice, and I think they did a really good job, in many cases, really capturing the, the likenesses of these actors. Well, I think so, too. And it reminds me a little bit, but not quite, of like rotoscoping, where you're using real live actors and just sort of implanting animation on them. There's a, a great Netflix show, uh, movie, Apollo 10 and a Half, that utilizes that rotoscoping style. And one thing that I noticed from that is the same thing that I pulled from this episode. Animation allows you to be a little bit more freeform with the realism and the suspending your disbelief. I think not only with the action sequences, which are just top notch, some of my favorite parts of this episode were all of the action, especially when Peggy goes nuts with the shield. Like she legit, I don't even care that, She's not supposed to know how to do this, but she's just amazing. And there's that whole sequence where you, you see her strength for the first time where she basically just form tackles the truck yeah. and stops it. And then one flips over. And then the second one, the, the guys fly out. You see her reaction saying, like, that was brilliant. And she's like rock solid with the shield. Yeah. And she even she says, where have you been all my life? Like, <laughs> I mean, she is legitimately excited about these super heroic powers that she chose involuntarily chose because Steve could not, when you see her sort of play that out, I think you wouldn't be able to get that as effective in a live action. It's more CGI and it's more practical effects. Whereas with animation, you're like, okay, how do we want to set up this shot? Okay. When she runs into the truck, we need that thing to flip over and we need it to get set on fire. Okay. You try setting that shot up in a live action and it's going to take it better only take one take because you probably don't have the truck to to, yeah. to do it more than once. And I think that that, along with the facial expressions, it allows you to have a lot more fun with them. And I thought throughout this whole episode, what I really enjoyed, apart from the 
action sequences. Like I love the fact that she's running alongside that guy on the motorcycle and she's, yeah. she just knocks him off and then she takes off and, you know, she's got her motorcycle now. I love the facial expressions. I love that we see more of this character of Stark who is a lot more snarky. Like when he's asked by uh, Colonel Flynn when they're trying to get into the chamber and he's like, Rogers, get in there. He called Stark. You go in. What? Are you crazy? I pushed the buttons. I'm the buttons guy. And that comes back later as a sort of an in joke. Obviously, that plays into the great writing that we're used to with the MCU. But I think that those jokes, the way in which they're delivered, land a lot better in animation because I think our brains psychologically go, oh, cartoon? Okay, I should laugh more. Even though there's some really serious stuff that goes on. I mean, people get shot in the head. People, (laughs) I mean, there's no joke. I mean, people die. But the fact is, I smiled a lot more watching this because you can animate a facial expression in a way that feels a little bit more pronounced. And so when you have somebody like Bucky in real life, he's limited. The actor is limited by his face. And that's not saying bad by him, but an actor is limited by their own facial expressions. Whereas if you base a cartoon or an animation off of a face, you can manipulate that however you want. And as you mentioned, you can make a person's body bigger without having to do prosthetics or all these other things. Or like, you know, take their face and graft it onto a CG body, which I think when it's done, it it never kind of works for me, at least. I always can tell, oh, that's not so-and-so's face. You know, like like it, it, for me, that type of bad CG pulls me out of a film, uh, of a live action film. And so, but if it's all consistent, like as we were saying with this animation style, you, once you sort of accept the aesthetic you just go with it. You don't have to worry about something feeling like it doesn't abide by the the laws or the physics of reality because you're in that that computer or animated world now and you just accept that these are things that these characters can do. And it looks perfect from within that context, from within the universe that you're following these characters in. I was really impressed and by the way, when you mentioned Stark saying, you know, I'm I'm the buttons guy, it, it kind of reminded me, I'm thinking well, maybe he's like the first guy in the chair. If you remember Ned's yes. character from Spider-Man Homecoming. Yes. Like, there's always a guy in the chair. <laughs> you know, That's kind of Stark here. You know, he's the guy in the chair, but he's pushing the buttons. So I don't know if that was intentional or if that's just me finding a, a thread, you know, that connects the two. But I chuckled at that myself. And, and this is the first time I've really kind of gotten to appreciate Stark, you know, Tony's dad. Yeah outside of Tony's world. He was really on full display. I'm going to admit that I'm not going to go through all these movies again just to get reference points. But from what I remember in the movies that I've seen, he doesn't have a lot of like heavy dialogue. Like he's not very pronounced. And so seeing him sort of be this kind of sarcastic, flamboyant guy, it completely makes sense because of what we know about Tony. Like I think at one point, one of my favorite lines that he says is when he's giving Peggy, the uh, the outfit, she's in the bar, and he basically goes up to her and goes, Can I give you a piece of advice? I'd rather you didn't. Flynn's a moron. Lucky for you, I'm a genius. And he shows her the new costume. And he hints at that whole USO nonsense that like, it was going to yeah. be used for the USO, which I love that Steve <laughs> mentioned that to her earlier when she's going through that whole stress-relieving training. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Throwing like weights he, against the wall. Yeah. Reminiscent of Captain America. But yeah. I think it's a plus one at this point because I don't remember – I know Steve in Captain America, he's doing the punching bag and he knocks it off the, the chain. 
but I don't ever remember him flipping a large weight and throwing it into the wall. That's a great bonus. Well, and I think that's that's interesting you say that because I think it's because Steve Rogers went into this knowing what he was going getting into and everyone was on his side, you know, backing him up. Here you have Peggy Carter where she's being essentially looked down upon, right? Because she's a woman. And so she's not only dealing with this incredible physiological change in her body, but she's dealing with all these these men telling her she's not good enough or she can't do this because she's a woman. So I think she's going through a whole other set of emotions that Steve Rogers never had to experience as a man Mm -hmm. in the original film. So I think that was important that they they showed her frustration and allowed her to express that. And I'll say this, Adam, I don't, I really like the fact that that's not overblown about her not being able to do it because obviously you've got Starks behind her. Like he's, I guess being a buttons guy, you don't really care who's in the suit as long as you get to push the buttons. He just wants his experiment to work. Like I, right. we see that throughout the episode. When we get to the Hydra Stomper, he boasts about it being indestructible and you know really doesn't lose that even when you know Steve apparently dies. At the same time, you have Steve. This is a great through line through the episode. His adoration for her and her adoration for him. I think it's fantastic because Chris Evans is an attractive dude. Like he's a he's a handsome guy. In the first Avenger, you know, he's digitally altered to look weak and small, and then he gets into his, you know, his normal kind of a very swollen. athletic dude. <laughs> yeah, swollen, I guess you could say. What's interesting here is the common ground in both of those is his love for Peggy. Her love for him is what starts this whole ball rolling. And I think the Watcher mentions that this is the choice that she made to stay when this event takes place. The guy throwing the switch or whatever. But throughout the episode, we see all these little pockets of his adoration for her and they joke about i owe you a dance and i'll see you on saturday night and again this is me kind of going oh are we gonna see uh are we gonna see a reunion at the end of this series is something gonna happen with the tesseract and some time travel is he gonna come through i don't know but i like the fact that really the only overt character that doesn't like her the the kind of caveat to you're a woman and we don't need that is Colonel Flynn, who's played really half for laughs. Like, I never really believed, like, this was a major plot point. And, of course, in a 33-minute episode, you can't really get that deep into it. But I thought it was appropriately done. And Whitford nails it. He says, I was promised an army. I was promised peace and salvation. Instead, I get a girl. The way he delivers that line sounds so juvenile. (laughs) And, of course, he's sort of the antithesis of her. But I like that throughout this, yes, she's overcoming this stereotype that women can't do things but that's not the plot that's not the big theme and i don't think it needs to you don't have to say that you just do it and that's where i think peggy carter in this episode really shines because she's not only strong because of the serum she's intuitive she's athletic she's agile i mean she has a physical prowess that allows her to fight and battle but she cares deeply for steve seeing them fight together in that whole montage where they are jumping across aircraft and like pulling pilots out. I mean, that's insane, dude. It's such a cool thing. I love the fact that Steve Rogers doesn't just get cast to the side. This isn't what if Peggy Carter became the next Steve Rogers turned Captain America. No, it's what if she was the first Avenger, you're asking your question, where does Steve go? Well, he becomes the pre Iron Man (laughs) in the, in the Hydra suit or the Hydra stomper. And it's awesome, Adam. I love that he gets a part to play because his heart is to fight. 
His heart yeah. is to be a part of this battle and to win the war. And if you threw him to the side and just said, it's not about that, it would discredit the line that she says later. It's not about the suit. It's about the man in the suit, essentially. Right. And I, I love, I love seeing their relationship progress as the episode goes on. Yeah. And if you think about it, that's why he was picked to begin with, because he had the right mentality, the right heart. He was the type of person that could take on this, this responsibility and, and do it justice and be good. And I think, in many regards, Peggy is very similar to him, and it's who they are underneath these super soldier versions of themselves that they are really attracted to or and whom they fall in love with. And that's the point, is it doesn't matter that he's skinny Steve or that she's super Carter or vice versa. Those are not the reasons they fell for one another at all. It was always about who they were underneath, and I think that's you know what this reversal clearly shows, that she still sees good and strength and heroism in Steve, even though he's the skinny guy from Brooklyn, right? And vice versa. He doesn't seem to care that she's probably twice his weight now, <laughs> maybe, <laughs> you know, six inches taller than him. So I think right. it just shows that that relationship is all based on what's sort of on the inside and it plays really well. And by the way, you mentioned, you know, Stark, you know, who is voiced by Dominic Cooper. He actually, if you ever saw, there's also a, an Agent Carter series that aired on ABC for two seasons, which is I enjoyed. It's pretty good. And he had a reoccurring role as uh, Howard Stark in that as well, where we do get some of that snarkiness and kind of uh, similar attitudes. So if you like that character, I, I that's a show that I could recommend to you or any viewer who, who wants to get into the post-First Avenger world a little more because it, it's all again sort of what continues to happen with agent carter after the events of that film and i personally just love that era i'm a fan of the sort of world war ii setting so i enjoyed when that series aired it was sort of during it was like a spin-off during the same time that agents of shield was on tv we talked about this earlier how there's so much content it's impossible to watch it all i have sort of been watching it since day one and just slowly consuming it. So because I've been doing that and it's just like an hour a week here, or there, whatever it was, and I'm still doing it with the Disney plus shows, you know, okay, I'll watch the next episode of moon Knight, And you now it's just 45 minutes this week, another 45 minutes next week by doing it as you go, it's manageable. But if I hadn't been keeping up with it for the past 15 years, it would be so overwhelming. So I totally understand where you're coming from to be able to actually go back and watch everything in the right order and to not miss anything would be impossible, especially if you have children or, or a life of any kind. <laughs> so I, 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 I hear you. And, and, but I have to say that every little piece that I watched, all the quality varies and, you know, there's some that some stuff that's great, some th stuff that's just okay, and some stuff that's really I sh I should have skipped. <laughs> I'm enjoying the vast majority of it, or I have as I've gone along, but it, it is a it is a huge time investment for even watching it chronologically as it comes out in theaters on TV and so on. It's a, it's a lot, and and with Disney Plus, there's even more than ever. <laughs> so it's yeah. it's just before it was just like two or three movies a year, right? At, at the most, and maybe a show like Agents of Shield that was on ABC, but it's just become almost overload at this point. And I, I don't have any issue with that by any means. I mean, 
I've talked on my other podcast, Feeling Film, with my partner that when you deal with an IP, you either, depending on how deep the rabbit hole goes, whether it's Marvel or Star Wars or, well, I mean, really anything Disney-related at this point <laughs> because I think they own the market on long-running IPs, you're either in one of two camps. You're either the casual guy or casual person that just sort of watches what you want to watch or you're deep into it. I have yeah. a friend of mine who is all in on Marvel, you know, everything Marvel, make mine Marvel, but he could care less about Star Wars. He's like, I like my nine, my, my, my nine episodes and I'm good. I don't need Clone <laughs> Wars. I don't need all this rebels and, you know, these different things that come out. Whereas I know you are all in on Star Wars as well. Yeah. But the fact is, everybody's got 24 hours in a day. It's how we spend it. And I'm not going to judge anyone for loving that stuff because I think it's fantastic. And if the content's good, it's worth checking out for a a particular person. And I I think that things like Star Wars, things like the MCU, they project this idea of FOMO, especially when you get into the type of conversation. I mean, the essence of our show is really about sharing experiences of the things that we're watching, particularly on the television side. That's part of the essence of feel and film is we see movies and we talk about them. (laughs) And so we have a shared experience when you're in the world that requires a larger investment to get the full effect. I think that for a lot of people that wears them out for a lot of people, they're all in and you just kind of have to make sacrifices. So I think Marvel as a property, the, creative team behind all the stuff that comes out, I can pick up WandaVision and enjoy it without necessarily having to know what's going to happen after or what came before because it was a great series. I can watch the Falcon and Winter Soldier and not love it as much because I don't have as much of an investment in the characters, but I can like it. And I think What If, as we've mentioned before, is another one of those accessible shows that you can enjoy with those kind of touch points that you're familiar with. And that's something else I wanted to talk about was we get some familiarity. We get Bucky. We get mm-hmm. the 107th. We get uh, Dum Dum Duggan. Dugan? Is it Dugan or Duggan? I can't remember. I think, I think it's, it's Dugan. Dugan, yeah. Played by Neil McDonough. Yeah. We get Red Skull. I, you know, he's in this. And I was like, wow. Oh, yeah. I forgot. Because <laughs> yeah. you know, most of the episode we're dealing with all this other stuff with the Tesseract and stuff like that. This is all familiar. This is all part yeah. of the mainline movies that I'm familiar with enough that I'm like, Oh look, there he is. There's Bucky. And again, we get some, we get a little bit of expansion because we're living in this alternate 19, 1940s world. And we get lines like from Dum Dum who says, hold on a second. She's friends with that, that Hydra stomper. I think I'm friends with him too. (laughs) I don't, I don't see uh, the actor who plays Bucky responding that way. I think again, he's a softer version of Bucky. Because yeah. I know him as Winter Soldier with the beard and brooding and stuff like that. And metal arm, and so yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, later on after that big fight sequence where we get the Hydra Stomper, you know, Bucky says, Hold on, you can't even drive a car. And then Dum Dum <laughs> goes, So a dame and a flying Buick. Okay. It's just, <laughs> I love that stuff. That yeah. is so much fun. Again, because I have points of reference to either compare in my head or at least recognizing, yes, I remember those characters from Captain America and I I love them in this as well. So it's really yeah. neat to have familiarity and also have a refreshness to this. And that's what I'm looking forward to about the rest of these episodes is I have those frames of reference. Right. And I, I, I'm 
pretty sure, I'm pretty sure, all the episodes are in reference to the movies, not to the TV series that yeah, have I, come out. Yeah, I believe so. Yeah. I mean, I think anything in the MCU is potentially fair game, but I believe as long as it's officially part of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, which could include short films and shows, I believe, but I think based on the episode titles that I've I've looked ahead, it looks like they're all primarily based on the feature films, at least in this season. But like I said, there's the character in this played by Bradley Whitford, who is from a short film, which originally premiered on the Iron Man 3 DVD, I believe, uh, the Agent Carter short. So they are pulling little bits and pieces, it seems like, from various parts of the of the MCU uh, which again, it's it's not crucial. You don't need to know any of that and to enjoy it, which I think is why it works because you can just watch it as a piece of entertainment for 30 minutes. But right. if you have all those those reference points in the back of your mind, it'll just add that extra enjoyment because you can, a little light goes off. Like, oh yeah, I remember him. Oh yeah. Oh, hey, that's so-and-so. <laughs> that's his voice. Yeah. So that makes it just a little more more fun and entertaining, I think. Absolutely. I think more than anything this episode just allowed me to appreciate these characters more beyond yeah. just what I got in the movies. You know, I, I think Stark is probably the standout for me. I think he's got the funniest lines, but I think it's in relationship to, to Peggy, two scenes that stand out to me. One is there's a scene where Steve and Peggy are, I guess they're at a coffee shop or the library, something like that in yeah. front of the window. And, and they're having a moment and it's very much like a sitcom moment where they're about to kiss and Stark knocks on the window and he says, Hey, we're going Bucky stole the Jeep. And there's this like weird beat. He's and he says, Oh no, you continue. Just, just pretend I'm not here. Maybe you can explain this to me from a technical standpoint. I've seen this before where there's a dissolve, but it's like a circle dissolve. I don't know if there's a name for that. Uh, yeah, but it's, yeah. It's very. It it happens a lot in like old fifties TV series. Like I think when you're going to commercial or fading to black instead of fading, it it does it with a commercial, like with cartoons too, where it just kind of yeah. goes into a small. Is there a name yeah, for that, or is it just called the dissolve? Technically, it's called an iris out. Um, okay. So as as a as a transition, iris out. So it basically takes the image starts to get dark from the out. It sort of zeroes in on the center of the screen or on the center of a character's face to kind of add emphasis to that character's expression. Or It's often used for comical effect, or it was in history. And as you said, it was a very common way to end classic cartoons from the 40s and, and 50s to end the show or short with this iris out effect. But it can also just end a scene as it does in this case. It kind of They kind of almost look at the camera and it's like a yeah. wah, wah, you know, like, <laughs> exactly. uh, and then I was waiting yeah. for that sound effect. Wah, wah, wah. Yeah. So <laughs> I think it was just to add a little humorous emphasis on the ending of that scene. And then we cut to a much more dramatic mission yeah. about to un unfold. So yeah, it's, yeah, it's an iris out and that's, that's what they're called. Okay. But, but yeah, it definitely provided levity for the, yeah. for that moment, especially when leading into that. Um, there were other couple of moments, uh, particularly with, with Stark and Carter. They're running through the castle, and Stark says, Should we not have a plan? Who needs a plan? I have a shield. A shield is not a plan. Oh. <laughs> I'm like, I agree with you, dude. I mean, a shield is definitely not a plan. I also love Bucky. When they run in, they see the giant octopus, and he goes, Oh, wow. Lord of the Calamari. Again, I don't see that actor doing that. I don't yeah, see him yeah. delivering that line because he's such a, you know, he's a brooder. That's all I know him as. Yeah, yeah. So I love the softer side of that. 
one more thing and then I'm going to hand it off to you because I've talked a lot. But That's okay. I think that at the end of it's when, oh, it's during the battle. He tells her that Stark gave him new dancing shoes. <laughs> and the way she delivers the line, she says, Well, then we better start dancing. If you listen to her voice, you can almost hear her smiling as she's delivering that line. I love hearing that stuff because I feel like the actor is actually enjoying the moment. Like, I think right. that they are in a studio and he's delivering the line and they're smiling at each other. They love the dialogue. And it makes perfect sense for her to be able to say it that way. They're having fun. They are in sync with one another. And they are, they're, it's almost like they're on this really weird date, of yeah. like battling bad guys. But this is the world that they know. And I thought that was so sweet. I yeah, yeah. That. You can tell when a good voice actor does their job, you, they're really getting into their character, even though they're in a soundproof booth talking to potentially nobody, right? Even if sometimes the other actors aren't even present. If they're really getting into the character, they're still performing not just their voice, but their whole body and facial expression, because that's how you get the performance out. Even though you're just hearing and recording audio, you as, a, as an actor, I think, have to give your whole body performance. And so that includes smiling, laughing, whatever comes along with it, that has to happen in the recording process. So I think Haley Atwell did it. You know, she's clearly the one on screen and being heard the vast majority of this episode. Uh, some of the other actors might have like one, literally one line <laughs> or a couple words and, but they still managed to get them back. Like Samuel Jackson, you know, it's, I'm frankly shocked that he even agreed <laughs> to come back for like a line, but he probably recorded it from home. That's what they probably do these days, so. <laughs> it's uh it's amazing though. And I just think she, like I said, I think Haley did a great job and I thought she did a great job playing agent Carter in the movie and in the agent Carter series that I mentioned earlier. So it's uh, any chance to see a little more of her performance in this character, I think is, is welcome. It would, even though I think it would look strange, it would be kind of cool to see a live action version of her playing Captain Carter. I just don't know if they could physically make her that big. I think she would just have to be kind of like what Chris Evans did. He just got really pumped, right? I think they would have to make her just get into really good shape and, you know, maybe pad her costume a little bit. <laughs> but that's the only way I think you could pull it off in a live action film or, or show where it wouldn't look like she's a CG character that doesn't feel rooted in reality. Right. It would be an interesting look. And I think it's in light of knowing the, the She-Hulk series that's coming up and kind of going, right. all right, we've kind of got somebody that's doing that. And so that, that really would serve as a template. And this is the other thing that I, that I like about this first episode and hopefully the rest of the series is that this feels like I'm reading a comic book. Yeah, you know, the, the the cuts and the the different shots. You have the hero shots here and there. You have the, the snarky dialogue here mm -hmm. here and there. And I almost at some point, I almost was looking for like thought bubbles to start popping up when people yeah. were walking in, because this is what you want from your comic books. You want that kind of suspension of disbelief. You want it to sort of jump off the page. There was an episode of an episode. <laughs> there was an issue of Daredevil that I thought was incredible. Uh, Chris Somney, who was on the art for the majority of it, he had either handed off the art duties for a few issues. I think he was taking a break or on vacation or something. I wish I could remember what the artist was, but there was a there was a full panel, a full two page spread of Daredevil. Daredevil? No, it's Daredevil. Excuse me, <laughs> Daredevil moving through the page, and he was using 
the panels to project himself to the next oh, thing. Wow. Like using yeah. it. And I'm like, this is incredible. And I, I sort of said, I, I tweeted the author or the artist. And I said, dude, you are amazing. And I was one of like, you know, 50,000 people that did that. So I, <laughs> there was no shot of him replying to me saying thanks, but right. I, I appreciate that. And I felt like we were getting some of that with this episode. And I feel like we're going to get that with all these other episodes where you are using the constraints of the animated world to expand the story, expand the characters, expand the fun. And I hope that that's what we're going to get as the episodes sort of progress. The bonus for me is that we get a little through line. I think the watcher, you know, Jeffrey Wright's performance, I think is going to be that thread. And I know that in the comics at some point there is a little meta pointing back. I think there was an issue where it was, what if no one was watching the watcher? I didn't read that issue. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I think that that's based again based off of the episode list. I think that's going to probably come into effect, but I'm not worried about that at this point. I'm just worried. I'm, not, I'm more just concerned about having a good time with the rest of these episodes, and I feel like I will. oh yeah. And there's one last thing I just wanted to point out that I really loved is at the end of this episode we got as Captain Carter was getting you know pushed back by uh, the octopus, which I think is the Shuma Gorath, uh, but it's like smashing her against the wall. She like looks to her right and there's a sword and I'm like, Oh man, she pulls that yes. sword out. And I was like, yes, this is what I always kind of felt as a kid was missing from captain America. So he didn't really have a weapon. Like he had a shield, which I guess he uses as a weapon in a way, but he never had anything else. He just had this shield. Right. So I always thought, wouldn't it be cool? He'd be like a modern day knight If he had a sword and a shield and here we go, we get captain Carter with a sword and a shield, just looking badass and going to town on this giant interdimensional creature she's like a mythical warrior. So I just thought that was a really great way and how it cuts to her being transported nearly 70 years into the future, like bits and pieces of tentacle come flying out of the portal, which clearly she was still battling with wherever that she was during this process of going through this other dimension. And she just kind of flies out standing up, you know, with her sword and shield in hand, looking badass. I just thought that was a, a really cool way to make her character even cooler <laughs> than yeah. she already was. I don't want to mess with her. She's again on her bad side. <laughs> All right. Well, that's going to do it for us on uh, this edition. I was going to say this issue. We're talking comic books. This edition yeah, it's hard. of an original series. Adam, what do we have coming up next time? Well, this was uh, episode one of What If. So on episode two, we have What If T'Challa Became Star-Lord from Guardians of the Galaxy, obviously. So, yeah. So somehow they're going to blend Black Panther and Guardians of the Galaxy into one story. I'm not quite sure how that's going to work out but that's that's why we're going to watch it right we're going to see what they have in mind for us looking forward to it yeah all right well thanks everyone for tuning into our conversation i'm patch he's adam and we are out of here 